Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. I practiced my sermon yesterday for a bunch of reasons. You guys deserve a good talk. I hope it's easy to listen to me talk. You said that, and I was like, is it? I have no idea if it is. I hear sermon, uh, people when they talk about preaching, they say you need to watch and listen to your sermons at least every once in a while because everybody else has to. And I'm like, well, yeah. (laughs) And so I practiced yesterday and it was 33 minutes long. And then in the first service it was 19. And I'm like, where did those 14 minutes go? So who knows what's about to happen? (laughs) I have these notes and yet... So I love the book of Mark. It's my favorite gospel. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at, especially in chapter 7 and 8, Jesus' miracles and teachings that surround the fact that we do not naturally perceive God or ourselves clearly, which means we can't then move towards others if we're not perceiving him and others clearly. And I think we have this tendency. And uh, the tendency is not born out of Weirdness. We don't come by it dishonestly, but we want to have things figured out so that we don't have to think about them anymore. And the desire to have things figured out is a good one, but then that energy towards just so that I don't ever have to think about it anymore is one that uh, can be very problematic, especially when mixed with religion. And as we come to the teachings of Jesus, I think if we're honest, they're ever-challenging. Um... I think we have issues, and Jesus is quite clear about them. Issues with our perception of God and issues with our perception of ourselves. What we're doing is we're trying to force theology through the lens of our own experience and our emotions and our tendencies to to fear or anxiety, and uh, we come by those things honestly, and yet returning to the teachings of Jesus, longing to be gripped by who he is, is worth our time. 
I remember hearing when I was about 18 or 19 that when someone comes to be a follower of Christ, they should read the book of Mark so they know what Jesus is like, and then they should read the book of James to know what to do about it. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And it was one of those moments where I was like, maybe this is like the right answer and that's it. Now I go back to the book of Mark and I'm a little bit confused by it. Despite the fact that I've mastered divinity, despite the fact that I've been a professional Christian for over 20 years, despite the fact that it's my favorite gospel, I go back to it and I see Jesus' teachings like this, like what Carrie just read from Mark chapter 7, and miracles that will accompany it, and teachings that will support it. And I realize he's teaching something subtle that will eventually become explicit. The Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, that's what uh, people call Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they basically follow the same timeline, a lot of the material is the same. The Synoptic Gospels in the Old Testament build a foundation that we don't understand nearly as clearly without the rest of the New Testament. Mark's written after many of the letters of the New Testament. We need the book of Revelation to teach us about Jesus as king. We need the book of Romans to teach about Jesus as prophet. We need the book of Hebrews to understand his role as priest. But those things come after the gospel of Mark. And so Jesus is teaching something very foundational about himself and about us. In 2015, I preached uh, the gospel of Mark one chapter at a time, which was pretty fun for me. Nine separate things happened in Mark chapter one, so turning those into one sermon was challenging. Maybe fun for me. If you were here, I'm sure you remember all of it. And what we're gonna do uh, over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna look at Jesus, we're gonna zero in on his teachings that our perception is naturally not good with respect to him and then with respect to ourselves, which then harms our ability to love. And I think when we, when we read texts like this, I don't know about you, but I heard, I've heard people say before, when, when, when they hear Jesus say something like this to the disciples, they'll then kind of make fun of him a little bit, like they were kind of boneheads and they didn't get it. And um, that's not true. I don't think it's very helpful. And then we miss the tone of Jesus, which is gentle, loving, leading, understanding that they didn't understand and longing to lead them into a more full understanding. These men understood the Old Testament better than probably all of us put together. But understanding Jesus not, not as a civic king, but as the suffering servant who's gonna take on the sins of the world. Receiving the Christ not as a military leader who's gonna overthrow the Roman Empire, but the vine, John chapter 15, which means he's going to embody the nation of Israel. So it's no longer just culture, race, and religion. It's actually gonna be embodied through faith in him. That's a momentous, momentous, that's the wrong word. That's a mountain of challenge to their brains and hearts and minds. So when he asks, are you without understanding, he's saying it gently and kindly because they were very challenged by what he was beginning to teach about himself. We have issues of perception. And what we think naturally is that um, what we do will please God. And so what was happening was Jesus is watching certain religious leaders teach about cleaning dining couches. I think we should bring those back. Like, let's stop sitting in chairs. Let's redo it and let's have dining couches, right? I, just, I was studying for this and I'm like, I want a dining couch. <laughs> like, sounds more comfortable. Uh, and, and the way they were cleaning cups and the way they were cleaning their hands before and after the meal, these are extensions of the Mosaic law. So the, the law that God gave to his people after rescuing them because the law always comes after the promises as a guide to the with God life. 
They're not a set of rules that break God's heart so much as they're a guide to our life in light of his rescuing promises. The laws that he gave, these were laws that were built on those. These were traditions built on them that were becoming very distracting for people. And what was happening was they were believing if I clean this cup and this dining couch and my hands, that makes God happy. As opposed to, because God is happy with me, I will follow him wherever he tells me to go. These laws, the rest of the New Testament will teach us, are not abolished in Christ, though we don't keep the civic or the purity laws of the Old Testament anymore. They're actually fulfilled in him. So the purity laws that they had built uh, these extensions onto, Christ is, they were supposed to point to our need for purity, for God's requirements of holiness. And then they would draw the nation of Israel to faith in him. And Christ is saying these things are fulfilled in me. By this he declared all foods clean. And this was not simple for the disciples. If you've read the book of Acts in chapters 9 and 15, you see them continue to wrestle with this. You'll see in a lot of Paul's letters he discusses this because it was so challenging that now, after Jesus' incarnation and life and teaching, we receive life from him through faith not through culture and not through religious activity and not even through, well, I wanted to say religious activity again, but I already said it. I think that a lot of people think that people are naturally good. Oftentimes, if I'm in an Uber or a cab, I'll find out sort of halfway through the ride that the, the driver thinks that people are, are naturally good, but then they start to explain their experience or they start to explain how education has failed and they're talking about what's wrong with the world and they're, they're wrestling with something similar to what the disciples were wrestling through as they watched as people criticized them for not washing their dining couches and their hands and their cups. And Jesus flips the whole teaching and is helping them understand that natural people come into the world with a defiled heart. And when he says heart, it's not like, gosh, they have a heart for dogs. That's so nice. It's not a sweet thing. It's not uh, limited to emotions. Oftentimes when we use the word heart, we're talking about emotions. Biblically, the heart is the seat of emotions, but also mind and will. The entire Bible fully expects that your mind and your body and your will and your emotions are integrated and turned over to God are made new and not turned over to God cause a lot of destruction. And this was happening for uh, a lot of Israelites at this time. Right before the section that, that we're looking at today, there was a section where Jesus criticizes them because people were giving away money that they had set aside to care for their parents. They were giving it to the church. So here's what this would be like today. You come into my office and you say, Pastor, we're so excited about the work we're doing down at the retreat house. We want to give $500,000 to that ministry. And I would be like, that's so generous. Thank you. Um, that's a lot of money. Where's it coming from? Well, we had it set aside to make sure that we could take care of our parents. But now we'd prefer to give it to the church. And I think our parents will probably figure it out. That would bother us, right? Well, what was happening was people were giving money and they were saying... We're going to give this to Corbin, which means a generous move to the church. And then they weren't able to care for their parents anymore. Even though the first neighbor love commandment of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. 
which contextually is more about us than our kids. It's not about children obeying their parents, though that's in the scriptures and a good idea. It's about adults learning to take care of the older generation, which was groundbreaking 3,000 years ago. The communities should learn to take care of one another. So they were utilizing religious traditions to break the first neighbor love commandment of God. We see it happen with the Sabbath. Instead of learning to rest and feast, they create 39 additional laws based upon the building of the tabernacle wherein we miss the point of the Sabbath. It was becoming an adventure and missing the point. Jesus is saying to them, through your hand washing and washing of the dining couches and washing of your hands, you believe that you see, but you do not. Jesus will perform miracles to help support his teaching, which was always the purpose of his miracles. We think that we look at the eye chart naturally and can read every line. But as we allow ourselves to deal with the words of Jesus, we learn we actually can't even read the E. We have issues of perception, and it's not only about God, it's about ourselves. You know, it's interesting. I don't know, again, how easy it is to listen to me. Perhaps you kept reading in the scriptures, and um, the next story is one of the most challenging stories in the book of Mark. I don't know if you've read it. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Jesus goes into a Gentile area. He meets a Syrophoenician woman that would have located her kind of socioeconomically as a little bit higher as a Gentile, and she asks him to heal her child And he says, it is not good to throw the bread, that's him talking about himself, to the dogs before the children. So he's making an analogy that his message is to recover the people of Israel back to God through himself. And everyone else will be included in that, but not in that order. She accepts that and asks him to go ahead and heal anyway. And so as we're perhaps challenged by that, we want to notice what Jesus said in our passage and then see the miracle of the healing, and he didn't even interact with her child to heal, as supporting the message. Because however much it bothers you that Jesus used the word dog, and by that he would have meant pet, as in we feed our children first, then we feed the pets. That's the order of this. However much that bothers you, notice the fact that it doesn't bother her because she knew her need. Jesus teaches that our religious activity not only doesn't merit us anything, not only doesn't shape our heart, our hearts are naturally defiled and need to be cleansed and renewed. And he doesn't teach the cleansing or the renewing here. He's gonna lead them to that later. That's why, in my opinion, Matthew, Mark, and Luke desperately need John for us to understand them and Philippians and Galatians to understand them. John Calvin said that the gospel of John is the key that unlocks the lock of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we go step by step through it and notice Jesus saying these religious activities do not help. And do you see the application What if it's true that we are naturally blind and naturally deaf? Not only will we not understand God and think perhaps that we can do religious activities and they will make God happy, which is such a um, 
such a shackle. It also means that we will not be able to move towards our loved ones because we won't have the humility of recognizing that we aren't going to naturally see and hear them very clearly for a whole bunch of reasons. But Jesus is pretty clear what we naturally do, envy, immorality, jealousy, covetousness. And, and do you see the, the uh, application? Maybe you don't. Let me say it this way. This week I was studying this chapter and I had set aside some time to pray for my family and a couple of friends and elders and our staff and I realized I wanted to pray this way because Jesus says I'm not naturally good at seeing and hearing him. I'm not naturally good at seeing and hearing and then understanding myself which means I'm not naturally good at seeing and hearing them. Here's a prayer for you, a natural application from Jesus' teaching that I think we see is where we miss our opportunities to love. Jesus, would you help me to see and to hear them? Isn't that when we start missing each other in marriage, we're not seeing and hearing one another? I mean, when our kids are one and under, we see and hear them and kind of understand them. And then they turn two and they start talking. And it gets more challenging, right? And this is for adult children with parents. It's so challenging because we remember our parents in either their best or their worst moments, and now in their best, they don't have their best moments anymore because they're tired, or we only remember their worst moments and we don't see or hear them and the relationship is challenging. And they do the same with us. We remember the things about our siblings from when they were 13 and 15, and they're not 13 and 15 anymore. We don't see and hear them. I offer to you perhaps the... the you're not going to read the book of Mark. You don't care a ton about what I believe I see from chapter 7 and 8, which, by the way, I largely learned from a book called The Theology of Mark by Hans Beyer. I'm not using, like, his titles. I won't quote him a lot of times, but I did learn this structure from him. Give him credit. You can borrow the book from me if you want. It's very worn out at this point because I wear out books. Not even for good reasons, just I spill stuff on them, you know. <laughs> I'd encourage you to pray... Lord, would you help me to see and to hear them? You have a child over the age of six months even. It's going to become challenging and it's going to grow in its challenge. With your parents, with your siblings, with people at work. It's humble. It requires humility. And if you're not there, if you don't have the energy, how about this one? Lord, would you, make, would you help me want to see and hear them? Right? Because we don't really always want to, which is what Jesus is pointing out. Our natural selves are not good at understanding, much less loving God. Our natural selves aren't good at understanding, much less loving ourselves. Thereby, our natural selves aren't good at understanding or loving others. But we can pray, and the Holy Spirit will continue to grow and enliven us into that. So we have issues of perception about ourselves and about religion. Jesus is saying that our need is profound and it is 100%. Natural man has a defiled heart. The only answer to it is the new covenant that Jesus doesn't speak about here, but is all throughout the Old Testament and then referenced throughout the theology parts of the New Testament, the letters. The answer is the rest of the book trusting faith in Jesus. And now we get to something that I get really excited to talk about because I hear people talk about this all the time and it drives me nuts. And not you people, I get to tell you what I think, but people in um, 
larger circles, what we love to do as Christians, oftentimes, is we love to quote Jeremiah 17 about the heart. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things. And then we stop reading the book. Like there aren't several more chapters. I don't love preaching a text as dark as this, except it's not the end of the story. And the darkness is so lovely because there's an answer to it. Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful. What does Jeremiah 31 say? God gives us a new heart. What is so lovely about Mark chapter 7 is it humbles us because we know it's true. And what, and what is so much more lovely about it is your heart, if you're a follower of Christ, is not defiled anymore. Which doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. Go to Romans 7 and you'll see Paul wrestling with this very question. I've been given a new heart through the new covenant. How come I still act like a jerk all the time? I'm paraphrasing. Romans 7 is the tongue twister. You know, I do not do what I long to do. It is the flesh, not the spirit. But before we get to the good news, we need to hear Jesus describing our natural state and accept the humility of it. Not humiliation of it. Not shame. Not we're pond scum. Sometimes when people preach the gospel, they start with sin. The beginning of the gospel is not sin. The beginning of the gospel is love. God existed before the creation. In eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, in loving relationship with one another. Then as an overflow of love, he creates the world. Then Adam and Eve believe they know better and they're gonna follow their own way. And create or bring into the world the curse. Now our need is great. And it is met in Christ. Jesus is going to perform miracles in addition to the one with the Syrophoenician woman, her daughter. Jesus is going to interact with people to help us understand our need for him. And for those of you that are followers of him, this is to encourage you. And for those of you that are considering the gospel, it is important to know that our need is entire for him. It's not a partial need. We don't need a little bit of religion. We don't need some good news. We need news that changes everything. And it is in him that we find it. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we return to song, would you teach us or encourage us or remind us that you are a strong and kind and good parent? Jesus, in hearing your teaching to your friends and disciples, would you help us to know our need? Holy Spirit, would you comfort and assure us that that need has been met by your work and none of our religious activity. You free us into the kingdom life that you purchased for us. Amen.